May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of you have heard this story, but I'm telling it again. At my previous church, I would frequently go on hospital visitations. I could check in at the front desk of the hospital and I'd have access to a census that would tell me and list all the people at the hospital that identified as Episcopalians. Well, one day I checked in and I saw the roster and one name very much popped out at me. It was the name of a parishioner. I had to go see this woman. Let's call her Barbara. So I went to Barbara's room on the fourth floor. It's kind of a long walk and I was outside the room, I look on the name on the door, I verify the name on the outside door, yep, that was the person that I was looking for. But when I went in to see the patient, the Barbara that was there was not the Barbara who was a member of my church. Okay, well, I, I should still stay, I thought. So I introduced myself and said that I saw her name was on the list and she identified as an Episcopalian at the hospital. Oh yes, Barbara explained. I am a member of St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue, New York City. I said, wow, that's really impressive. I'm one of the priests here at one of the local Episcopal churches and I'm, I'm really sorry that you're here at the hospital. I hope everything's okay. May I offer a prayer for you for your healing? Well, thanks for coming to visit me, but no thank you, she said. I don't pray. And I said, uh, well, you did say that you're Episcopalian. And she said, oh, yes, I am. I'm a member of St. Thomas Church, New York City, and I go to church every Christmas Eve and every Easter. I am an Episcopalian, yes, indeed, but I do not pray. So I said thank you and went on my way. I tried. The funny thing is though, a lot of us end up in the same camp as this woman, sometimes by choice, other times because praying just seems like too big of an ordeal or too big of a task. McGill University professor Douglas John Hall imagines that we often don't pray because we end up, in his words, we end up believing our prayers are legitimate only when they become mental marathons of self-abnegations and immersion in the ineffable divine, something that for most ordinary people is a bit like an insomniac telling himself to go to sleep. Professor Hall is saying that we think that prayer is not doable. We're so burdened by the ways that we've been taught or that we've seen other people pray that we feel incapable because we think there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. And so we check out. We simply give up and don't do it because who am I to know anything about prayer? Well, actually, who are any of us to know? The people closest to Jesus, the disciples, really didn't seem to know. They wanted him to teach them too, because in their traditions in first century Palestine, prayer was so formalized and shaped around duty and obligation and that most people always felt like they were getting it wrong when they prayed. 
Jesus prayed differently. The disciples saw this. They saw what he had with God and they wanted in on the action. There was something truly different about the way that Jesus prayed, so they asked him to teach them. And when he does, he reveals something extraordinary. He teaches them, as we know, we heard in the reading, the prayer that we have named the Lord's Prayer. But he actually teaches them a prayer practice, something even more profound. He teaches them that each one of us has direct access to God. God isn't some otherly figure in the eternal hereafter, but rather God is someone you can speak to as intimately as speaking to a parent, literally in the way a person speaks affectionately to a parent. Mommy, daddy, this kind of language, very intimate. But Jesus goes further than this, and he invites people, he invites the disciples, and he invites us to pray their prayers in a very truthful and honest way. You might even say in a way that is crude and raw and unrefined, not very churchy at all. If you're mad as all get out about something, Jesus invites angry prayers. If you're grateful, Jesus invites prayers of thanks. Prayer is all-encompassing. It's all about this journey we call life. And we all know that life is messy. Jesus doesn't gloss over anything. And he teaches this less-than-scrubbed-up prayer practice to his disciples. A messy and relentless type of prayer. And my bet is that Jesus would probably say that any time the prayer gets even messier than it is before, that it's valid and good and it's blessed to pray in this way. And so he illuminates this by telling a parable. The parable reminds us how we need to pray persistently with great expectation. We have to pray so much that we might even fear that we're being annoying to God with our prayer. Like we've prayed so much and asked for so much for the things in life that we need, that we imagine that God is as a, as being, that God is annoyed, and he's as annoyed as that friend in the story who's locked behind the door in the middle of the night. Jesus uses this parable because it's a very real world example. He uses it because that, that's the posture that we're supposed to use when we pray. We should pray for so much and for so often that we might get to the point we feel we are being downright annoying to God. And Jesus tells us that we'll know we've prayed a lot when we start feeling that way. But we still don't do it. We still don't pray. We get all blocked or we get afraid or we somehow think that God's going to give us a scorpion instead of an egg. A snake instead of a fish. We think that God is going to trick us, so we disengage. We pull away. It's too, too serious. We just don't do it. Truth time. I confess to you that I've fallen into this pattern many times in my life. It's something about our own need to control everything that we think we can figure out the universe much better than God can. And so if we ask for something wrong, 
or if we ask for the wrong thing itself, God's going to play a trick on us. God's going to give us something that will hurt us or shame us. Not true, but we think this. I had a conversation a few years ago with my spiritual director at the Society of St. John the Evangelist, and I told him it was hard to pray about certain things, very personal things in my life, because I felt like I was either praying the wrong way or for the wrong thing, or that, that I was just being too self-centered in this. I felt weird about praying about the parts of me that, that I don't talk about with other people. And I'll never forget what he told me. It's so important that I got to pass it on to you. He said this. He said, pray everything. Pray your emotions. Pray for your most raw, selfish, innermost desires. Pray your whole life, your whole self. Don't shy away from anything. Even the stuff that you won't even tell me or you won't even tell your closest friend. Pray it all. Even if you think that what you're praying for is bad. Pray it all, even if you think what you're praying for is bad. God will redeem anything, and God will meet you where you are and redeem your prayers alongside you. God will set you free. Really? But can I do this? Can we do this? We have a world outside our doors right now that seems like it's falling into chaos when hate crimes are rising and people grow more intolerant of each other. We don't have to look very far either when we see friends of ours who are struggling or people that we love deeply who are sick, they're battling illnesses. Or even those things that we, we read about or we see photos in, in the news about either people starving or running away from danger or living in extreme poverty or being victims of persecution in the world just for being who they are. And we're being invited to pray for everything, even the things that I want or you want, but probably only want selfishly and really don't need. Pray those things too. Pray it all. Yeah, pray it all. Real prayer can't be faked. Don't fake it till you make it. Do it. Pray your life. It's your life. The only thing we have to be mindful of day in or day out is asking what is our innermost desires? What is it that we want? What is it that we need? And how can we be bold enough to ask? Because that's what God wants us to, to do, is to ask, to seek, to knock, to stop at nothing until we can get responses from our prayers, the good prayers, the bad prayers, the healing prayers, the selfish prayers, the ugly prayers, all our prayers. God wants us to do it, to pray it all, to pray your life and to not hide anything. And if you need help figuring this out, your clergy here at Trinity will be happy to meet with you to help you engage with prayer. You don't have to pray in our way. We want you to pray in your way, and we might be able to help you. If you really don't know how to do this, please ask, because that's what we're here for. 
Don't be like that woman in that lonely hospital room, disconnected from a life of prayer, from people disengaged from God, isolated from the blessings that are here all around you. Prayer is normal, natural, and absolutely doable for all of us. In our asking, God is already doing. Thomas Merton Thomas Merton once said that prayer is the communion or the joining, prayer is the communion or the joining of our freedom with God's ultimate freedom. Find your freedom. Don't wait another day without praying. Give it a try, even if you think you're praying for something bad or praying for the wrong thing or just flat out being annoying to God. Don't wait. Do it.